Welcome to episode 129 of the Deep Lying Podcast, powered by Ronnie Dog Meter. We are back this week, and we're both back. I have a nice big red dot on my screen telling me that we are actually recording. The seconds are ticking past, and I can see all kinds of flashing things on the screen that would suggest that James Jones is on the line with me today. Hello, James. Hello, Chris. You've, you've finally got it right this week. I've got it right this week, though. A few cynics would suggest that maybe I got it right last week because you weren't on it. Um, yeah, you could say that. Um, but I'm a little bit, I, I thought I gave some good t- tips last week, but unfortunately, no one will ever hear them. I thought it was your best performance last week, James. It really was. And yeah, the irony is that uh, that probably our best podcast to date will never be heard. I feel sorry for Jack, actually, who got up very early in the Cayman Islands uh, to give up his, uh, his time for us. And uh, nobody will ever hear it. We'll have to get him back on in the future, though. We, we will definitely get him back on in the future. And James, please... Don't let the knowledge that the uh, the listening ratings were through the roof last week affect today's uh, performance on the Deep Line podcast. No, it's uh, it's it spurred me on to be even better. Actually, good, good. Well, that's that's important for me, and it's important for the uh, for the listener today. And look, guys, today's theme is going to be injuries. Uh, we're going to be talking about FM and injuries, and this was slightly inspired by me just pointing at Jack Wilshire and laughing yet again that he wasn't able to play in the England internationals uh, over the last week. And of course, Harry Kane, I think, was your reason for suggesting it as well, wasn't it, James? Yeah, although it doesn't, his injury doesn't seem to be as serious as, as first thought when I suggested it. It looks like he, he has an outside chance of playing this weekend for Tottenham. Um, this weekend? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Pochettino's hinted that he may or may not be in the team. Um, I don't know whether it's just mind games from Pochettino or whether there is an outside chance that Kane could have just turned into a freak overnight and overcome this injury that should have kept him out for about six weeks. Brilliant. Well, we'll let's, let's remember the uh, the mind games bit there for one of the points that we're going to make later because uh, press conferences on FM and injuries are something that, that comes up. But uh, yeah, Harry Kane, well, once again, England could be taking a striker who isn't fully fit to, to the World Cup, but... This is about FM and not the real world. So we, so we won't worry about that too much. But yeah, so James, injuries in FM for you, is it is it something that you suffer from greatly? You've, you've managed West Ham quite a lot of time and they're obviously a club who can't keep a player fit to, to save their life. So does that translate into the game? I tend to, one of the first things I do, uh, when particularly when checking out my staff, is getting in the right medical staff and the right physios and stuff. But um the one that really stands out for me was actually in my uh, my Brentford save from last year. You know, the one I keep banging on. <laughs> oh, Brentford, here we go again. So, bring it up so I could tell anyone that doesn't already know about my Brentford save, just to remind everyone how great it was. But I did have this before the Chinese arrived and, and bought Brentford and turned us into um, a world superpower. I had this guy on loan from, it was a regen, a guy on loan from uh, Sporting Lisbon. His name was Pedro Pereira, machine in front of the goal, was a striker. Uh, and then the Chinese, I could never afford him. He was about 40 million, 50 million quid in the Brentford before we got bought out. Didn't have, didn't have a great deal of money to spend. Uh, and then finally I could afford him. So I bought him for about, I think it was about 48 million I spent on him after two years on loan. And the moment I signed him, he was out for the season. Ah, uh, see. That's 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 when FM kills you. Yeah, and then he was never the same again when he finally came back. He was never the same again, and uh, and that was it. I paid 40, 48 million quid for for someone that couldn't score goals, even though he'd already scored goals for me previously. So um, 
yeah, there's that that one is one of the downsides of that fantastic Brentford save of mine. See, that does actually sound more like the sort of thing that does happen at West Ham, in in all honesty, bringing in somebody who's supposed to be really, really good, and then them not delivering their their price tag, and it and it can be can be because of injuries. Having spent so much time managing West Ham, what what's Andy Carroll's form like on the game? Well, every year because he's always injured. Every year he always starts injured on the game. Of course he would, wouldn't he? Yeah. Three, three or four months right at the very beginning. So um, I tend to stick him up for sale straight away. I wait till he's fit and then sell him. So I rarely play with Andy Carroll, but um, he's always injured, um, which I suppose is a, 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 a real life reflection of, of his situation at West Ham and West Ham situation in general. Yeah, thing is, for for me, injuries have never really been a major problem for me on FM, and I'll, I'll explain why a, a little bit later. But uh, it's it is something that every time the new game drops, that you sort of uh, you see a lot of social media interaction around. Ah, oh, so unrealistic! Oh, you'd never have these many players injured. This, that, and the other, and, and there's always that kind of sort of chat around that side of it. I've never personally found it massively unrealistic in, in terms of in terms of injury lists and stuff like that. Because I guess I suppose by having a, a process that I use, it's I, I feel like I've got something that's a little bit more realistic. Well, and I didn't come up with my, this myself, by the way, I'll, and I'll sort of give credit where it's due when, when we talk about it in a bit more detail. But having a process that seems to seems to work, makes it feel like, well, okay, if you have a training regime that's properly thought out and you are thinking about players and resting them at the right times, then you're going to decrease the chances of injuries. So I actually find it quite realistic. Well, have you found it, have you ever had any sort of like major injury spells? You think, ah, it's just gone silly now. None that really, really st- stick out in memory. I mean, that particular Pedro Pereira one, he just ended up sort of always getting injured after that. It was like a recurring thing. He'd come back for four games and then be out for another two months and he, he yeah. pretty much turned into the real-life Andy Carroll, um, which I suppose is um, fair enough with me, given that I'm a West Ham fan. But yeah. um, as if I rubbed off on him. But, I mean, you do see some weird and wonderful injuries. People talk about weird <laughs> and wonderful injuries um, in the community. I've seen somewhere... Did someone put up on... Um, to it the other day that they'd seen that their player had gone into rehab or something and was out for two months while he was in rehab or something like that. I mean, things like that. I mean, that can be a little bit too realistic in, in my eyes. I think I think there's probably when when Sports Interactive are making the game, I think those sort of injuries and those sort of uh, the slightly more controversial ones, I presume they only come into play when it's when it's new gens because there would be all kinds of legal um, issues. Uh, potentially kicking off if uh, a, a player that or players that we certainly won't name on the podcast suddenly disappeared into into rehab or or or, or many other sort of things as well uh, for that. So, but then in fairness, if you look back over the history of time, that they are things that do occur in professional football that that players do take a spell on the sidelines for. So, it's it's good that it's in there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there was, I remember seeing a few years ago. Um, it was. Uh... It was one of the updates on Steam, and you know, you know, when you can see the list of the things that F um, sort of ironed out, or the issues they've ironed out, and the bugs. I think w- one of them was we've uh, we've, we've stopped um, an injury where Paul Robinson keeps getting bitten by his dog. <laughs> um, and it, it, when I saw that, I was like, "Why the hell have I not seen that?" And I suppose it's because I'd, I'd never actually managed Paul Robinson. But um, apparently, to some people, Paul Robinson was being injured by being constantly being bitten by his dog. So. 
Now, had Paul Robinson actually been bitten by his dog in real life, which had led that to being in the game? Or because I, mean, I remember years ago, Dave Besson being out injured because he dropped a, a, a jar of mayonnaise on his, on his foot or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't actually know whether, whether it's as a result of a true story or not, but I think they should have just kept it in there. Definitely. Definitely. I think dogs, but I mean, that, that's, uh, they're, they're the sort of injuries that I'm really interested in and would love to have more injuries like that in, in my own FM save because there have been some crazy ones over the years. People sort of slipping out of the bath and, and missing a World Cup because of, because of that. And uh, what was, uh, there was another, there's another one to do with glass, which sat, uh, I think it was another goalkeeper. It seems to be goalkeepers a lot of the time as well keep dropping things when they're at home, which is incredibly random but somebody dropping glass and almost losing their foot, which I know we're sort of saying slightly tongue in cheek must have been horrible at the time. Mm. But, but yeah, those, those are the sort of injuries that, that interest me. I've got a niggling one at the moment in my current save back in 1995, 96 with, uh, with uh, West Ham. Ily Dumitrescu seems to pick up a tight calf when he even thinks about going training. And certainly when he's done more than 12 minutes on the pitch. And I'm guessing thinking back to Dumitrescu's time at West Ham, 12 minutes on the pitch was, probably more than he was managing in the real world. So that, that might explain a few things. Yeah, I think there was a story with Dimitrescu that um, he said he was injured for a game um, and then he was pictured shopping at Lakeside or something during the game. Brilliant. And uh, I think Harry Redknapp from that moment on went, oh, do you know what, I think I might have to get rid of this lad. His head's clearly not in it, so... Um, it, wasn't like, it wasn't like Redknapp to make shocking signings for West Ham, though. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised at that. Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit out of character for him, isn't it? But, uh, I mean, Dimitrescu was in a long line of um, wheeler-dealers-type deals from Redknapp. Particularly yeah. in the mid-90s, they were fantastic. But, I, but no word of a lie, it is almost without fail, in between each game, Dimitrescu's got the orange the orange injury sign and it is sort of uh, what, between one to two days. I've not seen the guy at 100% fitness yet. And I've just I've just gone into the new year, but he's playing really well. So so I'm not I'm not too bothered. And I think when he gets particularly sort of tired, he then he then get tries to get seven days out from from training. Um, so, but he's he's pretty much an ever present in the side as well, which is which is interesting. So that leads me to a question for you, actually, James. If a player has got the orange injury symbol, um, so he's he, he is available to play. Uh, but let's say he's on about 78, 79% fitness. Do you pick him? Depends how important he is and how much cover I've got. Um, and I suppose the importance of the game coming up. Um, if, he, if, he's, if he's my main goal scorer, then I'll, I'll give him an hour um, see how he gets on. Um, I tend to sort of check, particularly with this year when you've got the, the medical centre that kind of gives you a rough indication of how many minutes the player can get away with. Um, with that orange sort of injury symbol, um, I tend to use that as much as possible as, in terms of a guide. But um, if I've got quite a lot of cover or, or it's not that, that much of an important game, then I'll, I'll try and give him a little bit more of a rest, try and get over it a little bit more. But um, there's so many different factors that come into that that um, I kind of do it on a on a game by game or player by player basis. You do think about the game quite a lot, don't you? Mm. Yeah, I'm. I'm complete. I am completely the opposite. I, I'm very much a, a man of. I've got my best eleven. If you can get on the pitch, you're playing, and I, and I don't really care how. Uh, and if he's starting at sixty-seven percent fitness, but he's available to play, then he then he will play, and and I'll go from there. And uh, sometimes that that's to my detriment, but uh, but but not very often. 
You could say, do you not do you not find that you end up injuring him further? He ends up going being out for another an extra few weeks or months. Well, yeah, sometimes, but but not not as often as you might imagine. My 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 whole sort of system around preventing injuries is it starts on the starts on the training ground really yeah. and i remember reading probably back it might have been fm15 might have been fm16 one of the two but fm central uh, football manager central.com ran a really good piece on training about a training system that they were convinced didn't um didn't lead to, to lots and lots of injuries and actually kind of did stand to reason in terms of you you could understand that the, the methodology working in the real world as well so i set my training up without fail as um team training as fitness low and i do that from the first day of pre-season mm-hmm. but then i go into each individual player and then i then set them uh, an individual training regime so i'll look at the position that they're going to be playing within my system set them to that role um, and then give them an extra bit of training as well. So, so for example, most of my central midfielders uh, I'll have on roaming playmaker training plus tackling because for me that touches the most attribute, uh, the, yeah, the, the the most attributes you can touch um, on the, on a on a player's development. On roaming playmaker doesn't have tackling, so I then add in tackling as well to to give them the lot. Then that then takes their training sort of regime up to about a medium sort of a work. That uh, workload, I think, and by doing that every single time, um, I without fail have the lowest amount of injuries in in the league every single every single season that I play on FM, and I've been been setting it up that way since FM fifteen sixteen, and it's it's always worked for me. So so injuries really isn't something I've had to worry about. Now if I've got and I do also try and stick to my preferred eleven for for as long as possible. But if um, we've got a couple of games in a week, then I will then highlight all the players, right click, rest, and I'll give them two days off. Uh, and again, that seems to then prevent players going in too tired and therefore injuries. I would go as far as saying I don't think I've ever knowingly clicked on the medical centre just because I haven't. Yeah. I mean, I, I find the medical centre quite confusing. I don't know whether it's just my simple brain. Um, there's just so much going on on that, on that page. And um, I suppose I'm a little bit like you where I haven't, like, there hasn't been a time when I've like really suffered a real in- injury crisis as such. Um, but I'm always worried when um, I always get the notice that comes up in your news section that says, you know, there, there are several players that are unhappy about the, the training workload. So what do you do about that when you see that? Um, well, I click into the individual players and I go, well, what are they moaning about? Um, yeah. There's not a great deal going on. Um, that I've, I've, I, I'm, I'm completely opposite to you. I've, I rarely, um, aside from maybe uh, um, specific uh, position training um, and role training, I won't, I won't sort of dabble too much in individual training. Um, I take okay. it as, as a team, as, an, as a squad. But I still, I will still get um, it's noticed that, and it, they'll literally list my entire squad. They're unhappy about the level of training, um, yeah. And then I'll get um, my my biweekly report will say, well, uh, you know, I think you should reduce X's training because he's getting a little bit tired. And it's like, well, hang on, I haven't, I haven't gotten him doing anything. Um, but then there's no injuries that come that, that come about. That, I mean, rarely do I see a player that's moaned about the level of training to then go off and pick up an injury because he's been working too hard or been overworked. Yeah. 
I just I just tend to ignore it completely. Those, those messages. I just again, there's been no, there's been no sort of evidence over the masses of seasons that I've played that suggests that actually links to anything. So I've just I just choose to ignore it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know whether it, it, that there is an underlying thing that someone else might might already know about, but it just doesn't seem there isn't an obvious thing there that suggests that. You need to make a, a specific change, but no. And this, um, I the, the I mean, I still go back to. I think the injury side of it is is realistic on FM. And even if you do, even if now I go back and I play tonight, and I and I suddenly get a bit of an injury crisis, well, that could happen. I suddenly could have six players out injured in in one go. That's that's what happens in in, in football. So I, I I tend to then just just sort of suck it up and, and go go on it. But one of the things we will come on to is then having a little bit of a, a, a plan B around around what, we, what we're going to do uh, if we do suddenly start losing players. James, we should probably move on to the, the question of the week. So let's, uh, let's play that wonderful little jingle that people are looking forward to hearing. Question of the week. So our question of the week, which went out on Twitter and in Slack, was what has been your worst ever FM injury? Uh, we were talking about the players in particular, not something that you've done to yourself while playing FM. And it could have been a, uh, it could have been just a, a really bad injury because you loved the player, or it could have been something that absolutely messed up one of the biggest games that you were ever going to play on FM, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we we got a few answers which we will share with you now, James. You're going to do the first one, I believe. Yeah, first up, we've got at calling to FM. Um, he says he signed a 34-year-old Leon Osman, only for him to break his leg in his first game and instantly retire. So a difficult day for them both. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Leon Osman as well. Wow, forgot about Leon Osman. He never missed a game through injury, I don't think, either in the real world. He was he was a machine. An unfortunate end for Mr. Mr. Everpresent. God, what what we would love to know from according to FM was who we signed him for as well. I mean, was this like was he bringing in uh, Leon Osman to like a lower level club, and he was the he was the big signing that was going to be paying, uh, sort yeah. of uh, paying the way up to a, up to a top level and stuff. That would have been brilliant. God, how gutting. Okay, next one I've got here is from at FM underscore Grasshopper. He says, I signed Florian Lejeune from Villarreal about six years ago. He became my captain and most valuable player. Things were looking great until he caught an, and in inverted commas, infection that lasted well over 12 months. He was never the same after that. That's I've never had a player that's caught an infection. Really? It's quite a rare thing to happen, um, even if you're not. But um, that's really unfortunate. At least he got you know some some time out, some some good playing time out of him at least. Yeah, definitely. I've had I've had um a vi- I've had a couple of players with the virus, but they they weren't like significant players, so I didn't really. I do, it's not that I didn't care, but obviously I felt sorry for them. But um, but I didn't really care. So, but I've had a, I've had viruses that have uh, sort of lasted sort of many months. Uh, the next one, James, you've got there is. So we've got um, at. Uh, Gaffer Graymo FM uh, with Benfica form slumped a little when Caschini got injured uh, missed six weeks returned to training and then five minutes into the session and dot 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 I'm um, guessing from the dot 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 that he got injured again he got injured again presumably for maybe another six weeks or longer yeah a bit more information probably would have helped us there Graham if we're, if we're being brutally honest with you but uh doesn't sound like the worst injury in the world either. No, unless it was that bad that he just couldn't bring himself to to finish the sentence. 
That's true, actually. That's true. He could he could still be suffering from the from the shock, the pain, and the and the grief of of Cassini uh, get, getting injured. Next one I've got here is from Chris Emmanuel at CJ Emmanuel seven eight. I tell you what, Jamesy, if he's starting to respond to question of the week, I think he's warming to us. Gianpaolo Pazzini, FM15, blew my entire transfer budget on him. He got injured in the first training session, cruciate ligament damage, out for nine plus months. When he came back, he was absolute pony, so we ended up selling him for one fifth of what he paid for him. Sounds like you and you and Chris have got something you can bond on there, James. Yeah, that's that's terribly unlucky. Um, it's very similar to I think- mine. I think I think it is it is almost identical, and it's got to be. I've I've not had that myself, so that has got to be painful. That's got to be painful when you've spent your entire transfer budget yeah. on him as well. Yeah, I mean, but then having, then having to sell him for for very very little at the end, and particularly after all that promise. Next one you've got there is. Yeah, next up we've got uh, at uh, FM underscore Ponzi. Uh, it says he was thrilled to have best player get seven week injury because of that. No one signed him in the transfer window. Then just after returning, he was injured again for the rest of the season. Talk about karma hitting you in the back of the head like a boomerang. That is karma. That's brilliant. It's, it's a difficult one, that, because then at least still no one signs him for the rest of the season. You, you, no one buys him in January either, presumably. Yeah, that's true. But I've, I've never looked at it at the angle of actually hoping somebody somebody gets injured so they, so they can't leave the club. But, uh, but yeah, there you go. Everyone has their own management styles, I'm sure. But I, I, again, it looks it looks like most of these are obviously based around um, buying a player and then and then not actually getting to use that player. I was I was really hoping that we get a few more of the uh, of the ones of I was a lower level club. I managed to get I managed to get us to Wembley or something, and unfortunately, the guy who scored all the goals was injured, so we got hammered nine 0 in the FA Cup final. Though those, those sort of injuries must exist out there as well because we've all gone into big games and then had our plans slightly disrupted because uh, you haven't got the guy that that you really need to win that game. Yeah, I mean, talking about lower level clubs, that might happen with me and Bournemouth um, as my save develops. We're definitely going to have to talk about that in a little bit more detail today, James, because the the the, the, the fans were missing that last week, obviously, with you with you not being able to be on the podcast. And uh, we've got a bit of time to fill today as well. So we can definitely talk a little bit more about Borenwood in, in, a, in a bit. So, But no, injuries, question of the week. Thank you very much, guys. That was, that was very good of you. And I'm sorry to hear that you've been through so much pain with, uh, with things like that. But what we'll be moving on to shortly, uh, after we've heard from someone else, we'll be looking at what you can do when you think you've got a bit of an injury crisis. But before we do that, let's hear from the person that did turn up last week because it was pre-recorded and it didn't matter that I hadn't pressed uh, record. Uh, we're going to have FM Tip of the Week from FM Grasshopper. Here's your Tip of the Week. Hi guys, it's FM Grasshopper here, back with another hint and tip for Football Manager 2018 players. So today's tip is, you can add other teams' players to your shortlist by right-clicking on them and selecting Add to Shortlist. It's fairly simple and fairly effective, and it reminds me of going around a supermarket with my shopping basket, adding players to them, weaving in and out of aisles, dodging old-age pensioners and women with prams, until I get to the till, then realise my cards bounce and I can't afford any of the players. Cheers, guys.
So that was FM underscore Grasshopper from Grass and Gear Podcast giving us yet another tip of the week. And hopefully we will be able to persuade him to extend his contract with us, though he is sort of uh, on several other podcasts at the moment. And we should be able to hear more tips of the week uh, in next week's podcast. So, James, we're now going to start to <laughs> do the, the weakest part of the podcast. I, I would have thought, well, we start imparting wisdom onto people. Uh, around certain things and obviously we're talking about injuries today so we, we've got four things here to do when in an in an injury crisis which isn't the easiest thing to say um number one t- t- tell the listeners what number one is number one why are your players getting injured pretty obvious question to ask i think yeah i mean it could be could be any number of reasons couldn't it, it could be overtraining. i suppose we're gonna move on to that in a little bit but um could be um Playing them while they're not 100 fit. Um, I, I suppose this is where the. I mean, again, we're going to talk about medical centre, but this is where like re- really keeping a, a close eye on the medical centre and each individual player really does um, make a difference. And looking at um, sort of the injury proneness of players as well, I presume. Yeah, definitely. I think um, one of the things that we haven't talked about at all yet when it comes to injuries is actually the scouting of a player and, and your recruitment process. Now, it's um, I actually I, I had it uh, yesterday. Uh, I've uh, stepping back in time. I've bought uh, Jakob Larsson for uh, for West Ham in 1995. Danish centre back, really highly rated. Went on to have a very good career in the real world and stuff. I think he's about 23 at the moment. But because I had a sneaky feeling that he was going to be a decent signing, the scouts were happy and everything. I didn't really read the scout report properly. And then when I signed him, my physio told me that he had a very, very high level of injury proneness. Which, all right, I've only paid 450 grand for him, so it's not it's not the biggest risk. But it is a bit of a kicker when you suddenly go ah. All right, he uh, he might he might be injured all the all the time. So when you're recruiting, do you do you have a, a good read of that? Do you even look at that side of it? No, actually, um, I I rarely look at injury proneness. Um, when it comes to buying players and um, and scouting players, is what is never actually in my mind, which is probably really really bad. Um, but I suppose it's never really backfired on me as such. Um, my man Pedro Pereira at Brentford wasn't particularly injury prone. It just happened to happen just after I signed him. But uh, yeah, I, re- I, I I can't actually remember ever checking out a player's injury proneness ever. Now, if you're going to get really, really deep into the details around that as well, then what what you can do is that so you, your scouts telling you that um, the guy's injury prone. Well, you could get a second opinion. So you could um you could get an, your assistant manager to have a look as well. Uh, but then the next level that you can go to if you've really got too much time on your hands is to then actually look back at the guy's injury history. So your report's telling it telling you that he's injury prone. But then when you go back, you can actually see well, he's never had any any sort of regular niggly injuries or even a long-term one. So the information you're being given and the actual facts don't necessarily sort of match up. Completely on the flip side, you're being told that a player's got a very low injury proneness, so he, he should be okay all the time. But then by looking at their injury history, you actually see that every single season they're out for 15 games because of just various li- little injuries. So yeah. then you can take it to the next level and think, well, okay, is that because he was playing at this club with crap facilities? 
and the manager's rubbish and they've got a very bad physio and he'll be better when he plays for us with our lovely facilities if you have them and my really good physio if you've got one etc etc so again like in the real world really you're, you're trying to manage a lot of information and then and then make what you think the best decision is going to be yeah yeah I, I would agree with that um it is very difficult to keep on top of it all isn't it um I suppose that all, it, it all helps to have the right the right staff look, keeping an eye on them at the same time, doesn't it? Um, when it comes to medical staff and physios and fitness uh, fitness coaches and stuff like that, I'd, I'd agree. But I think I said on the um, one of the one of the podcasts we did a couple of weeks ago that I did two years in Cameroon where I was the only member of staff. I didn't have any physios, anything, and genuinely, just uh, I didn't notice any difference in the in the amount of injuries I was getting. Uh, then to when I had a when I've got a full sort of all singing all dancing medical squad of seven physios a head physio uh, sports scientist coming out of my ears so so I don't know if that was luck or or what but uh, but yeah it's uh, it, it doesn't always necessarily mean that more staff and even what you think is good staff is gonna is gonna make all the difference. Number two, Jamesy, we got uh, look at look at their training. We kind of touched on this already, but uh, so what what exactly do you do um, with your training that you think might stop players get injured? Um, yeah, well, as I said, as I said briefly before, and um, I tend to get a little bit confused when I'm told that players uh, are being overtrained because um, there's never really any any solid evidence that suggests that that's correct, but. Um, I always I always keep each player's training sort of on on medium. Um, I never like individually. Um, and then if I'm training them for a role, I won't coincide that with um, like training them for specific player traits at the same time. Okay. Just because then that would be solid evidence that I'm overworking them. But when I'm not doing that, I'm still being told I'm overworking them. So that part of it, I'm still still a little bit of a grey area in my game. Um, but then. Uh, Again, I think we briefly touched on it earlier. During during pre-season, it's always working on fitness um, leading up to the first game to make sure that they're all at the highest, uh, their peak at their physical fitness as possible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't really delve too deep into training in, in an attempt to reduce injuries throughout the season. They just sort of happen. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think, I mean, this one for me is very much along the lines of prevention is better than sort of cure when, when it comes to injuries. I just, I'm, I'm confident that my training setup does reduce the amount of injuries that we that, that we get. And then even, even in pre-season, I'm trying to sort of, uh, a bit like you've just said, I, I get, I pack as many friendlies in as possible, not necessarily for the, for the money-making sort of side of it, but just so that every player in the squad can get enough minutes without really worrying about results to get them up to 100% match fitness before um before the, before the the first the first game of the season. But then that said, I'm a complete hypocrite when it comes when it comes to a player coming back from injury. If he's a player that I think should be doing really well and he's on 67% match fitness, in my very old school sort of mentality, I'm thinking well the easiest way for you to get match fit mate is to play. So just go and do 90 minutes, surely that's going to help you get match fit rather than doing 30 here, 30 there, 30 there. So I'm a complete hypocrite half the time when it comes to uh, when it comes to looking at looking at things in in those kinds of kind of ways. But I am I am confident that low fitness training coupled with role role specific and individual training does seem to have a blend that is uh, that is keeping players fit. 
over over the course of the season. Then adding in the rest bit, the resting them. Not not when a player, not when one of your staff says this guy needs a rest. I'm just talking about generally resting them. When I think, okay, you got a game in three days, you're all on f- sort of sixty two percent. You're not going to be hundred percent unless I rest you. That that also seems to help as well. Do you re- do you rest a guy? What what do you do when um when uh your assistant or your physio says to you uh so and so is looking a little bit jaded and in, in need of a rest? Do you do you have a conversation with the player or? Um, uh, again, a little bit like what I said said earlier on. It's, it all depends on what what's to come. If I've got a, a relatively decent. Um, or sort of not too difficult run of games coming up, then I might speak to the player and go, look, I'm going to give you a couple of weeks off. But every time I've done that, interestingly, the, the player's gone, no, 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 I don't want to break, I want to keep playing. Yeah, uh, same here. So it's like, well, all right, then I'll keep playing then. And then the, 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 my assistant will go, look, he's, he's getting really tired, he should keep giving him a rest. And it's like, well, he doesn't want one. Um, sometimes I will. I mean, if, if, you know, if you've got a cup final coming up or, or, or a big game coming up in four or five weeks and I'm told, you know, Key striker needs a bit of a rest. I will get, will just not even speak to them, and I will leave and maybe bring him on as a sub for the last twenty minutes for a couple of games. But then, then you run the risk of the player thinking he's been dropped, which then opens up a whole new can, can yeah. of worms, doesn't it? So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's a strange one. That it's, it, I don't, again, I don't really have much of a. I do it by like a player by player basis, really, and sort of analyze the situation as and when it and, and as and when it arises. And it probably won't surprise you to hear that I just totally ignore it now, having tried it a couple of times of having a chat with with a player about that and basically being told that that there's absolutely no chance I want to have a rest. I just I just put that under the under into the box of uh, FM communication that has got a higher chance of going wrong than than right. So I, I yeah. just don't bother with it anymore. I, I, I mean, I'll note it is in the fact that, okay, so the physio is saying that this guy needs a rest. Now, do I right click rest him or do I actually tell him I'm going to rest him or do I just put him on the sub bench and not say anything? I, I will mm. make it, I will make a decision from there, but I will categorically not talk to the player about it because it invariably just ends up damaging, damaging the relationship. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not worth the risk. Medical centre information, number three. As I said, I, I I only accidentally stumble into it if it ends up in my inbox, I think. I've never knowingly gone out to find out what the medical centre is telling me. No, but when they announced that this is going to be in this year's version of the game, um, I was quite excited to see what it was all about. And it was one of the first first things I had to look at when I first booted the game up. And then it became um, very clear almost immediately that I would never use it. Um, it's just, I, I just find it, I, I mean, it's quite a cool little addition if you, know, you, you want to really sort of micromanage everything in, in, in your team and in your saves. But um, if you've got the right staff, I believe, and sort of what I gain from it is that you've got the right staff in place um, and you're not signing injury-prone players, um, you shouldn't need to use that page as often as other, other people would. Um, I just find there's quite a lot going on. It can, it can be quite confusing at times. No, I, I, I would agree. Uh, the, 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 the couple of times I have sort of, sort of ended up in it, I've gone, I don't really care. He's playing and, and, and left, uh, sort of left quite quickly. And again, I don't recall then seeing the player that I was warned was about to get broken down with injury because he's at a very, very high risk. It, it, I don't believe it happened, and if it did, it didn't cause me that much detriment. So it didn't make me change my behaviour in 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 any way around that. 
Um, num- number four, James, of our four things to do when in an injury crisis, have a plan B. Now, this is kind of a little bit relevant to the, to the real world as well. So England were briefly looking like they weren't going to have Harry Kane for the World Cup, though, as we now know, that probably isn't the case at all. But you have that immediate thought process of, oh, great, OK, so I haven't got my main striker. You haven't got your guy at Brentford that you paid God knows how much money for. What do you do next? Do you have to make something up on the on the hoof? Or have you actually got a well-thought-out plan that that comes in if such and such gets injured or he him over there can't play, etc.? Well, I, I always tend to make sure, sure backups in every position. Um, obviously, that's not always possible, depending on what club you're at. Um and I always try, I always make sure that they can all play the same role within that tactic that I'm that I'm using. Um, so that if the, my main striker is that does break down and is injured for a, long, a, a length of time, then I've got another striker and another striker behind him um, that can just slot nice into that role. Obviously, not have the the same impact, but can slot in for for you know months on end if, if need be, and play. Um, the only things for that is that someone that can step in and have the same impact means that he's always going to want to play as well because he thinks he'd be good enough. So it's all about keeping these players happy as well. Um, when signing players as a plan B um, with the view that they're going to be as good as or not, or only just not as good as the, the player that's been injured or, or your first choice striker, um, again, it's very difficult to keep everyone happy. Um, but I've all, I always try and have at least two or three in every position, just in case. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that in many ways. I, I do like a versatile player. I mean, I tend to operate with very sort of small squads where I can. So it's always good to have three or four players that can that can play in, in many different positions and, and sort of cover gaps and stuff. But I, um, although I try and have depth in the squad, I am also personally just trusting the fact that I'm only ever going to get the occasional nasty surprise, not a regular sort of thing of having four key players out injured at any at any one time. So I do gamble on that a little bit um, and not have like two world-class or good for that standard left midfielders or something. I will, I will often sort of uh, apply a, a creative plan B if I, if I need to in, in certain positions. And sometimes randomly that then leads to an even better situation, which means that the guy who got injured wasn't... Uh, wasn't as badly missed as, as first sort of thought. But the the one position that always, I think most people would say this scares me, is that as I typically play with a one striker formation, if you've got a guy that you know is just going to be scoring the goals, um, to lose him and not have complete confidence that anyone else stepping up can just hit the ground running and score the same amount of goals as that guy is doing, that, that's always a worry. And I've been bitten on the backside with that sort of a few times where... In the uh, in my save in France with Con, um, I had Ghent Dinage, who was an Albanian released by Marseille, uh, and he was great in that position. He'd score me a regular twenty goals a season, and I couldn't even as we went up the leagues. And each season, I tried to replace him with somebody else. I just couldn't get anyone else scoring the same amount of goals. So Ghent always came back in. Uh, and on the times that he was injured, that again that left a hole, and uh, we we didn't score as many goals. So. It's 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 well it's always well having a plan B, but if it doesn't work, then it can be a can be a pain in the ass. I suppose it's also worth not not so much always having a plan B in that one position, but also having a plan B in terms of tactics as well. Yeah, it, yeah. Having having one or two tactics in the back and sort of sitting in the background that 
should two or three of your key players be injured and you don't you don't have the luxury of having players backup players to slot straight in or you don't have the utility players available, then you can quite happily just flick over to another tactic that, you know, will will keep you t- like keep you ticking over until your key players start coming back and then you can start going into your student more preferred and stronger tactic yeah no i think i think that's really good um really good advice for the majority of people personally it takes me long enough to get one tactic working well that i'm happy with so the thought of having two or three that might also do a job as well is uh scare, scares the life out of me um but uh, but no, i think i think a, a lot of people a lot of people probably would be able to have the luxury of, of, of playing that way. I mean, we've seen, we see it again. We see it in the real world, don't we? Most people would, if, if it was me and I was, uh, I was Tottenham Hotspur and Harry Kane's just got injured. I would then be looking at the squad and probably just whacking Lorente in there because again, sort of almost like for like the tactic doesn't change too much, but Pochettino obviously being a, a much more skilled and advanced manager than, than I'm ever going to be even on the game has gone, okay, well, I'm going to play slightly differently. So I'm going to play Son and we're going to play, a different style where we haven't got a leading front man he's going to cut he's going to come in and play a lot deeper and we're going to be a little bit more fluid with our rotations in the attacking positions etc etc i'm like no i'm just going to play lorente so it's different people are going to do it in different ways that's it that's it so i mean tactics and, and backup players is definitely definitely the way forward in terms of a plan b i'd say no, without a doubt. So we normally do five things to do when in uh, when in our theme of the week, James. But we've only come up with four so far. Whilst we've been talking, have you is anything sprung to mind that might be of use? Not particularly out of the realms of what we've been speaking about, other than just um, I suppose I suppose you could bring in. Um, it does kind of lend itself to to the first one we're talking about in terms of just don't sign injury prone players or be careful about signing them. If we're going to start putting things like that in there, James, we're going to be guilty of almost like those clickbait bits of content that go up about five things to do to win a game of football manager and all five things are basically score more goals in the opposition. I think I think we should probably avoid that ourselves and keep us uh, keep us on a slightly higher level of of advice and chat for the for the for the listeners. What do you think? Well, sometimes you've got to just state the obvious though, Chris, haven't you? So um, that's what I was doing. Okay, fair enough. All right, guys. So number five of things to do in an injury crisis, don't sign injury-prone players. All right? Okay? Now, be careful out there, kids. Don't sign injury-prone players. I can't even say it, let alone do it. Um, just, there you go. It's quite difficult, isn't it? There we go. All right. So that's that's James's top tip for the week. We're going to give him, we're gonna give him um, uh, FM Grasshopper's little segment next week actually and he can start recording some of these tips of the week because that does actually sound like one James that probably gets on the processing screen whilst we're waiting for the results to come up but remember guys don't <laughs> sign injury prone players brilliant in on a more serious note to finish off this little segment though I think I think we'd all agree or we'd certainly both agree on this that most of this stuff is around preventing injuries rather than actually what to do when in a crisis and that probably is common sense the more you can do to avoid people being injured then you don't even have to worry about it in in the longer term cool okay right so we we would normally move on to the the next segment which would be the community roundup but at long ball foot's buggered off to Milan for the Easter weekend and and uh, couldn't be bothered to, to do a community roundup for us before he went. 
poor sod. So, so whilst he's off having a, a, a lovely little time in a, in a foreign country, uh, we won't have a community roundup for you. So I'm sure there's been some wonderful stuff this week. Please do tweet us once you hear this podcast and tell us all the great things that we've we've missed this week and we will retweet it to our followers so that everyone else can can go and have a read. So it's absolute open season for you guys to tell us what you've been doing, what you think has been really, really good. And we will share that with absolutely everyone. James, I don't suppose there's anything out there that you want to talk about in the community is in your own personal save that you might want to update people people on uh yeah well i mean i suppose it also comes into um, i know samo and did a piece last week on his with sterling which kind of lends itself into what i'm doing at boring wood i've got a 442 running on Boreham, um my sub with boring wood which i launched last week on jamesjonesfm.com so episode one is out there um get me on app james jones fm and click on the link there um, but I mean, I've been using the four four two in that, and it's been going very, very well so far at Bournemouth. Is it a basic four four two, or what? What have you done with it? Um, it's a really simple four four two ball winning midfielder, uh, a poacher, and a target man up front, two wingers, um, a flat back four. Um, team shapes flexible, and uh, not like I haven't really gone to town with the, the team instructions either. Um, just work ball in the box, short passing, prevent short goalkeeper distribution, stick to position. So it's it's very simple, but it's working a dream at that level. Um, but Sam, I was sort of having a read of Samo's piece made me reconsider some aspects of it, which I'm going to talk about in episode two, um, which I'm hoping may then improve our form, even though we go into the second half of the season, top of the National League, uh, which is very, very good. Um, we, at the time of episode one going out we're still in the FA Cup having we're in the third round of the FA Cup having beat MK Dons in the second round and Carlisle in the first round um, so a couple of big scouts in Boreham Woods eyes there so um, yeah it's going pretty well at the moment but I'm hoping that that continues into the second half of the first season um, and it doesn't all come crumbling down after I get a little bit too cocky. Yeah, you've got the transfer window to negotiate as well, there, haven't you? Whether you, whether you look to strengthen the squad or whether you're going to lose any players. So, the big worry is losing players. I mean, the, my my star man uh, Bruno Andrade has been superb in that first season, uh, first half of the season. He's got um, five goals and eleven assists, but um, he wants two grand a week to renew his contract, and I just can't afford that. Um, so I've got a feeling he may end up leaving, mm. um, but I've got enough backup, so I shouldn't. I mean, I don't really have the cash the cash flow to be able to bring in a replacement straight away. So, um, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, it sounds like a very good start. Very good start. Sounds a little bit, yeah. oh, a little bit better than I'm doing at West Ham in 1995. That's that's for sure. That was going to be my question, mate. How are you getting on with that? Well, it, it, it tell you what, it's great fun. It really is really good fun. Um, we've got, I've got some uh, some retro kits on the go now as well, thanks to at uh, FM Football Manager. Uh, he put together all of the ninety five, ninety six kits that the the teams were wearing as well. So it, it all looks, it all looks really, really good. Um, we and there were some great kits in that era as well. Some really, really good kits. Uh, we are, this is probably spoilers for where it actually is on, on the written side of things, but I can't actually rem- remember where I'm up to in terms of releasing stuff, but I've just got up to Christmas day. Uh, no, well, I think, no, actually we've got, we're about to go into the 1st of January to, uh, 1996. Uh, there's about seven players leaving and about seven players coming in. 
Um, I wasn't massively well received by the West Ham players, um, being somebody they'd never heard of who clearly didn't have a clue. Uh, so a lot of players were getting a little bit, a little bit disappointed in me, and I and I quickly switched to a regime of you come into my office more than once moaning. I'm just sticking you on the transfer list, no matter what you say. Uh, and I was able to rein in something like 10 million quid for Ian Dowie. Uh, I managed to flog Julian Dix Dortmund for seven and a half million. He turned down Real Madrid bizarrely. Uh, probably thought he couldn't get in ahead of Roberto Carlos or whoever was the uh, Madrid left back in 1995. It probably wasn't Roberto Carlos. Um, so I think I've raised about 30 million quid in in sales uh, and I've reinvested wisely on the likes of Ruud van Nistelrooy, Marcelo Salas. Uh, who else have I got coming in? I'm pretty sure that I've got, I, oh yeah, I've got some very good sort of uh, Scandinavian players who weren't spectacular in the 90s, but were very, very good, solid club players. Sort of so players like Jacob Lawson, uh, there's... Uh, a midfielder it might have been Solbakken, who's coming into coming into central midfield, and I've got Tori Andre Flo joining us as well for about four hundred and fifty thousand quid. So to be able to sell Ian Dowie for ten million and bring in Flo for for less than five hundred thousand, I think it's a great bit of business. Um, all that translates to us being about tenth in the league at the moment, which uh, which is better than Harry did in his first season and about what the board wanted from me. So so far so good. Yeah, sounds good. I mean. Bringing Tori and Jay Flo in kind of follows uh, West Ham's real life. Got to have a target man up front. Yeah. So it's, um, I like how you're keeping it real. Well, he's going to be battling with uh, with Ruud van Nistelrooy and Marcelo Salas for that for that spot. So it's going to be it's going to be some good uh, some good options for me there. And I've still got Tony Cotty, who started the season brilliantly, uh, but faded. Uh, a little bit so he's a, he's a fourth option in there but I've also been blooding in the likes of uh, Frank Lampard Rio Ferdinand uh, Jimmy Bullard's just started to play a couple of first team games uh, Emmanuel Onmiwini or something I don't know if you remember him yeah uh, I do yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he's in the first team squad at the moment because I was just I just lost I lost patience with uh, with some of the guys like uh, John Moncur was another one uh, who was who was annoying me um Tim Breaker started moaning too much. So I was just putting these guys in the un-23s and, and bringing the kids in, uh, even if they were just sitting on the bench and stuff. So so we've uh, there's been a fair bit of change over the the first half of the season, but the form has improved. And uh, having gone from 4-4-2 to 4-5-1, we're, we're looking a lot more solid. Sounds, sounds good. Yeah, it's, it's really good fun, though. Really good fun. Um, I'll be sort of uh, releasing my tweaked version of the of the original database who was, that was done by the guy on Steam um, who's getting a lot of love for it now, which is great because the amount of work he must have put into that was ridiculous. Uh, but no, it's, uh, it's it's great fun. It's going really, really well. So I think that brings us to the end of today's podcast then, James. Yeah, I think it's been a good one. But once again, I've, I've learned quite a lot. I've taken loads of notes. Good stuff. Well, it sounds like they're working quite well for you at Borehamwood. And obviously, it's been a better podcast for everyone involved because you've actually been with us this week and and we are still recording. So I've been checking momentarily every five minutes for the last 54 minutes. Yeah, I look, for, I look forward to being back on back, back on it this week. And listeners, of course, you can decide whether you think James should actually do a solo show in the next couple of weeks as well, just, just to even it out a little bit. 
in 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 that respect, which I'm sure he would love to do. Yeah, always. <laughs> right then. Okay, so James, where just remind everyone where they can find out more about you, the website, Twitter, and all that good stuff. Yeah, so um, as I've already said, I've already got my website up and running. So it's jamesjonesfm.com, um, and then it's on Twitter. It's at jamesjonesfm. Um, you can get me on my personal Twitter account if you want to read about me moaning about West Ham most of the time. That's at by James Jones, by James Jones. Um, Chris, what about you? Where can we find you, mate? Uh, everything Football Manager to do with me is at 10 Potatoes FM. Uh, you can find all my written stuff over at www.thehighertempopress.com. Uh, as we have moved over to Ronnie Dog Media as of today, I've cunningly changed my personal Twitter handle to at Chris Darwin RDM. That's at Chris Darwin RDM. And of course, if you're listening to us on one of those great little podcast apps, please do subscribe to us, be it SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Acast, or whatever else we are on. Do follow us on Twitter at the Deep Lying Pod. And we are currently updating the website daily by throwing out some uh, some of the old podcasts from the archives and you can find those at deeplinepodcast.co.uk and there are some absolutely brilliant ones that we are we are resharing with you uh over the over the next few weeks so james anything else you want to add on to today's episode 129 no, that's everything from me. Wonderful stuff. All right, guys, we've been the Deep Line Podcast powered by Ronnie Dog Media and we shall be back next week. Thank you for listening.